They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Yes or no, Jared? Lizard people are not <laughs> out of the question. Welcome back to another episode of the One One Podcast. I'm your host as always, Juan. Uh, make sure to follow me on social media at the One One Podcast. Rockfin.com slash the One One Podcast. Patreon, all that good stuff. Instagram is my main account. YouTube, all, all where all the lizards res- reside. So I mean, just follow me on there, okay? We we might talk some lizard people today. Who knows? So today I have Jared Murphy with me, and there are a couple topics which I will forever find interesting. That have oh that no matter how many times I talk about it, I will always come back to talk about it. One of the main things that got me into quote unquote the conspiracy realm of things was ancient civilizations. And one of my very first interviews was with Brian Forrester about two and a half years ago now. And the topic of, you know, ancient civilizations and perhaps them not being aliens really piques my interest. I like to have a plethora of views on this show, right? I like to have... Have you ever talked to Michael P. Masters by any chance? No. His book, Identified Flying Objects. He's a bio... He's a professor... uh, 
and he talks about identified flying objects. He's an an anthropologist, a, bio, a biology anthropologist, something like that. Anyway, evolutionary anthropologist, something like that. And he talks about how the greys are actually us time traveling from another point to like archaeologists studying ourselves. So, you know, I liked I like the Anunnaki theory. I like all that shit, but I don't marry myself to any one particular viewpoint. And I reserve the right to change my mind at whatever point in time because you know, we're always constantly learning. So I like where you're coming from and I love the way you break it down. You bring up a lot of interesting points. And so for the listeners, where can they find your work before we get into it? And uh, plug your book. You have your book. It's not aliens. Worse, it's us discovering our lost history. Uh, you put out a, do- a documentary recently, which I enjoyed as well. Can you tell us where they can find your work? Yeah, the documentary first and foremost is on YouTube on Not Aliens. That's where you'll find the channel Not Aliens, and the documentary is Terracor. Uh, yeah, please check that out. Uh, there's a few other interesting postings also. Um, the website is NotAliens.com. That has a members area. You know, feel free to subscribe. It helps support uh, field work, actual expeditionary work, and of course the channel, which I also co-host and um, am on. You'll find me on everything imaginable, Dark Hour Paranormal, um, co-hosting a show uh, that just started every Thursday night on Not Aliens on YouTube, and then of course the book is it's just wrapping up. You are actually one of the first shows in the last few weeks that I've just chosen to start talking about the re-release of the new book. Mm. I've, I've only mentioned it on a few shows within the next few weeks, there will be a brand new, totally updated 88 page edition, almost plus in color, new release, new cover. I'm, I'm really excited about it. There's been a lot of work. It's been almost eight months of work to, to expand the book and add things and refine based on, uh, these interviews and other people. So unfortunately for everyone looking, don't please go looking for the book right now. Watch the documentary, um, subscribe to the Not Aliens on YouTube. And if you like, uh, join me on the Not Aliens member area. There's a lot of cool stuff in there too. Awesome. And Jared, is this your real name, Jared Murphy, or is that a pen name? Oh, wait a, yes, no, it's, that's it. It's, yep. It's your real name. Okay. Cause we have another show that I do that, that we only have people who have uh, pen names on there. So I was like, is this guy's name really Jared Murphy? Because it sounds so generic, you know? So I was like, hmm. I've had nice. people on where I'm like, hey, is your real name so-and-so? They're like, no, it's a pen name. So I'm like, all right, let me, let me no. just ask this guy. Hey, man, what do you think of J.D. Murphy? J.D. Murphy? Sure. I mean, all you right. can better you can than. Yeah. I just thought I'd throw it out there for anyone else. You know, feel free to leave <laughs> comments below. But no, I because that's my middle initial. And I thought maybe J.D. Murphy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it can work. So. Jared, what got you into this this realm of work? Because we know in, in Egyptology, there's a lot of dogma when you bring up alternative yeah. history. And we can all agree, okay, because you have the Flat Earth community, you have the Tartarian yeah. community, you have the Atlantis community, Agartha, a Shambhala. I think all those places are the same thing, okay? You know, Midgard, yeah. Asgard, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But in Egyptology in specific, there's a lot of dogma when you bring up an alternative history. And we can agree that the powers that be the people in charge of our history, uh, they're shady. Okay. NASA is shady. The government is shady. All these people are shady. We can agree that they 100% withhold information and, and alter information. 
And in specific, the reason I bring up Egyptology is because a lot of people fail to recognize that there are megalithic structures all over the world, not just in Egypt. We know the Great Pyramid of Giza as being, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world. That's that's like the the big the Mac Daddy. But there's all over through South America, even China and other places around the world that they have these megalithic structures. What got you into this realm of, uh, you know, talking about an alternative timeline, if you will, because you do talk about how a lot of these structures are a lot older than what they tell us, which I agree. And uh, you also get into some other things. But what got you first into this subject? It's um, I'll give you the whole uh, yeah, I'll give you the whole thing. It was like many young boys. I thought, who doesn't want to dig up dinosaurs? That was easy start. And then to date myself, I was pretty young and then very quickly a movie called Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. I'm like, who doesn't want to like find golden monkeys, save the girl and kill Nazis? I thought this is like, I'm going to find that temple that's buried in the sand. And exactly in that window, um, you know, I went to the natural history museums and where I grew up and I'm like, who cares about these giant stone blocks that a bunch of people in loincloths moved around? This is stupid. I don't care about those. I want to find, you know, like, you know, sliding giant stone doors like Indiana Jones. And I didn't care anything about megalithic ruins because it was explained to me in a natural history museum. It was obvious. There was lots of photos that it's just a bunch of people squatting and banging rocks around a fire. And, you know, in between making deerskin suits, they were uh, moving heavy blocks. So it's like, there's nothing to that. So I left it alone for a number of years. Meanwhile, um, got into music, um, uh, play the violin, almost went professional with it. I, I was always interested in movement and like Taekwondo, um, did a lot of cycling. I got, I, I asked questions cause I grew up Catholic, severely Catholic. Mm. So when you have questions and you're with, you know, I was very fortunate. I had some very, everyone thinks they're, you know, maybe their time growing up in junior high, high school might be really special. I was around a group of people that went on to get full rides to colleges from MIT to, they were just, we just ended up with this really smart group that wanted to ask questions. And so I have all these questions because we were really involved with the church and I had these questions that weren't being answered. And so that drove me as early as junior in high school to start reading about quantum mechanics and quantum physics. And uh, I'm trying to look for answers that, and, and what also made me curious was, why am I told to just believe more or why am I told to not ask the questions? And they're actually like, I'm getting the sense. I'm not just pushback, but like anger that I'm, that I'm, and I'm being irritating. And I'm like, that just pissed me off more. Right. And I just wanted to know more of the answers. And so kept at it. And I became a historical remodeler, design build, uh, you know, working in homes in the 1880s, 1870s, 1900s, 1920s and 1930s. And, um, there's a lot of personal interests and everything that kind of came together where I went to write what would have been at this point uh, for this particular book was going to be fictional about the Paracas mummies of Peru because they're the oldest at the time, a few years ago, they were the most uh, ancient preserved to naturally preserved mummies on earth at over 9,000 up to and over 9,000 years old. The premise of the book would be that clandestine government organizations would reanimate the oldest mummies they found in order to find those Atlantean, uh, Palladian, whatever, uh, 
you know, Lumerian, whatever <laughs> was ancient technology from Tartaria, whatever. I thought there'd be a handler. Three days into research, I am watching a documentary and there's, uh, you know, Brad Pitt played Colonel Percy Fawcett in The Lost City of Z. And they're going to go to the Amazon in this documentary to find the last place that Colonel pa pa Percy Fawcett was seen and not killing the movie here. They never find him. And he disappears in the jungle. But this documentary is retracing his steps to the last village he was at. They're physically going there. And there's, a, there's an archaeologist. And at this point says, hey, I just want to show you something on the river. There's this artificial soil that's all over Brazil, at least the size, twice the size of Spain. This artificial soil has been man-made. It's called Terra Preta. We don't know how to make it. Soil scientists have looked at it for 100 years. It has piezoelectric properties. It filters heavy metals and carbon dioxide. It's the richest growing soil on Earth. And then some, two things clicked. One was I'd gone paleo, which solved a number of allergies and other things. And when you, when you go paleo, part of it is about kind of a term that kind of came up in the last 10 years called positive gene expression. And you start learning things about the human body where it's like, oh, man, this is connected to this, this is connected to this, the sound and frequency, this meditation. And then uh, now I'm hearing about a soil, and I want to write a fictional book, which sends me on a three-and-a-half-year writing. Uh, took three-and-a-half years to write this book. And what happened was is uh, Terra Preta, that's in Brazil, day three of me looking into research, that identical soil is in North Africa, it's in the savannas of South Africa, which is where I ended up doing my first field. Like, well, the last field research I had done before my book was released, I was in South Africa for a month at Michael Tellinger's Stone Circle Lodge. And I was, I was there to look at the land and the stone circles and a vast, vast unspoken about a uh, lost civilization that's there. But this engineered soil was what started me and from a building standpoint it's a joke to think of 100 140 year old homes and then all the remodeling that's happened to them but when you look as a design build uh, remodeler contractor when you look at construction and you see polygonal construction on every continent pyramids on every continent with polygonal construction you see giant 900 1100 1200 3000 ton stones on every continent and keystone cuts and stone spheres, it, it, you, you have a continuously collective common building system with ancient engineered human, we say there's superhuman abilities. And like you mentioned earlier, that there's these different modalities. So depending on your family of origin, you might say, well, I grew up Catholic and I believe in angels and demons. Well, there's, there is a collective human consciousness. There is genetic memory. We've proved all this out. So what we have is either, we either have, a bunch of separate religions or we have a bunch of separate beliefs in aliens and some stories about history or the reason we are 10 to 15 percent conscious yet we believe in evolution and you only get something through a forced adaptation at some point we were 100 percent conscious at some point we already developed the tools and skills and the frequency and energy machines that were able to calculate where an earthquake would be for us to build a polygonal building so that so many hundreds of miles down and in the earth that building would not fall down and we had genetic engineering uh, to the point where maybe some of these post-Diluvian or the flood, the flood stories, basically, anything post-Younger Dryas, so 12,600 years ago, that maybe some of those shadow memories and all these written religions and scripts are pointing to when, at one point, a much more advanced human civilization 
likely fell and likely some of them survived, but they may have just been users of the technology. And here we are with what, it's not that there's not space traveling anthropologists, it's just that it's more likely that very advanced humans that have really uh, survived over different epochs of time might be what we're seeing and identifying as UFOs. And we just have to start retabling all the questions that are out there about our origins because we're living with them. We, that's basically the short and long of how we get through a book and me doing this uh, for the last, you know, like more full time now for the last six years. That's awesome. And here's the thing with, with all of this, because religion plays a part in, in all of this. And I wanted to get your take on, because I talk about the occult a lot. I talk about the metaphysical, where right? We have mysticism and you talk about Wim Hof and uh, you, you paraphrased Wim Hof on a podcast that I heard you on where he said, to I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, to fucking demystify it or something yeah. like that. What do you feel? Because it would be kind of ignorant to believe that we're the only ones in this universe. If if you believe in outer space, because a lot of people don't believe in outer space. Some people, I had a guy yeah. on last week who said space is fake and gay. It's not just fake. It's <laughs> fake and gay. So... If you subscribe to that model of of the universe, do you think? And again, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think that there is some sort of alien life somewhere out there? Or yeah. So one of the things Lynn and I were just talking about on our show, um, it's exactly that. It's so let's take one sliver of truth or factualize it, however anybody wants. But yeah, the Hindu Veda is talking about millions of years of history and witnessing the gods well that's what they would look like like cargo cults you know what those are right mm -hmm. so there's the chance that at some point in the last twelve thousand years we or some people survived by linguistically hand-me-down tales saw more advanced humans fighting with maybe nuclear weapons and flying in the sky and then there, we have those witness accounts over yeah, Mohenjo-Daro too which is it's it's yep. still radioactive after all so supposedly yeah, right? 100% and then we have eyewitness accounts over Nuremberg in the mid 1500s and then again in Switzerland of aerial combat and so uh, these are groups that don't get along but let's say that in the Hindu Vedas, there's talking about millions of years of human history. And more importantly, we have physical evidence, which Michael Cremo points out in Forbidden Archaeology, which is a, really a must-have for everyone. And he has one hell of a dry sense of humor. A lot of people think the book, there's a reason they said if you can't beat him, join him. I mean, there's a reason he was invited into archaeological congresses and associations, because after 10 years, he retraced actual standard academic finds of anatomically correct humans being found in million two, million five, 2.5, 5 million, 20 million, 60 million, 120 million year old finds of the human race as we are now in the soil, non-intrusive burials. These were 700 plus examples of tracking down that the human history is much more vast and complex. So then with that in mind, could we have already left the planet? Did we already settle Mars? Did we already settle other, other space stations? Did those people leave the whole solar system, go somewhere else, settle, 
forget they came from here, had a different disaster, rebuilt their own society, came back and went, you guys look like us. You left us. Did they fight? Did they not get along? We have a lot of questions to table about if there are people coming here, are they us? Are they a completely different species and race? Are there space traveling anthropologists? Sure. But our biggest problem, and this is huge right now, and, and, and I don't think people are fully aware of the problem, but it's basically like saying, hey, who, who made this device in my hand? And for those listening, it's a phone, a very advanced phone. And the exact, the, the genetic memories, not just instincts, but the powers of the superhuman, like Wim Hof, you brought up, or Stieg Severinsen, or these other, the power of eight, there, there's so many abilities, what we describe as paranormal, second sight, mm-hmm. um, remote viewing, there's so many real human abilities, uh, the little 120 pound, and this is, there's many examples, but you know, the little tiny woman who lifts literally the whole car off of her kid. The guy from Coral I mean, Castle, uh, Edward Lee, uh, Leedskin or something like that. Uh, the uh, Coral Castle was an interesting, I actually went there just a couple of years ago with Michael Tellinger, actually. Really? He and I had never been there. And uh, yeah, we were there together. We got a tour. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting space. I can digress on that one. But yeah, I think the idea of the cell phone, the reason I'm bringing it up is because when you look at the technology of what the human can do and what's in our actual, okay, so there's what we want to say, these stories that we're referring via religious texts or mythologies, which are all important. But let's start with the facts in the ground. Let's start with how many areas that were supposed to be nomadic are covered in ancient, engineered, high or low, like we're, we're humanly occupied and the terra preta there is either a natural rendered animal fat, just human occupation. They kind of built it up because they lived there and how much of it was an engineered soil for growing things or filtering heavy metals and chemicals and whatever else. And when, when you look at the technology of, of polygonal buildings, the, okay, so for everyone listening, the big, the big giant things like Baalbek and the pyramids that are polygonal, not the little mud brick stuff, but the big thousand ton, 800 ton. The little mud brick, Oyate. you mean like Machu Picchu? Sorry to cut you off. Cause there's some places in Machu Picchu that's, you could see where it's a bunch of little stones. Yeah. They, they rebuilt f- it. Yeah. So like you have a, you have an artistic interpretation of archeologists or you have the Inca or the Olmecs or the Toltecs or the, or, or the, you know, the Mayans or the Aztecs, what they've done is they've, they basically, these dynastic cultures have come in and adapted these large, what were probably either completely abandoned for maybe even tens of thousands or thousands of years. They adapted sites that they found. Um, even the Egyptian language, when you point out, when you talk about the dogma, okay, I'm digressing. I'll just one point on that. And I got to interview Mohammed Ibrahim. Uh, that was so fun. And I, I love doing that. But he pointed out that the language itself that we understand of ancient Egyptian is only 68 at best, 65. They're not even fully sure linguistically how it speaked or sounded or that they've even translated it fully at all. They're, they're, they're just over half-ish. And, it's, and that's a lot left for interpretation when they don't fully have ancient Egyptian sorted out. But what I'm getting to about the phone example is that you can talk about aliens and you can talk about the mythos and the stories but it doesn't relate to how this cell phone is made. This cell phone, you and I both know, was made in a, in a factory 
whether it was China or otherwise, it was made on a set. Like we can envision an assembly line and the people and the engineers mm -hmm. from, you know, from the mechanical to the machines, we can imagine the technologies and the people that created a cell phone. We don't automatically say that this cell phone was created by aliens and <laughs> it was helped by aliens. Aliens helped us make our Android. We wouldn't have an internet without aliens. Yeah. That's so common sense to us to say that, right? Like I just wasted air on that, like airtime. And yet <laughs> we look at polygonal construction. We look at seismic metastructures of these stone spheres. Like this is wave frequency technology for a people that Wim Hof has been able to prove. We have conscious control of our autonomic nervous system. We have second sight. We have twins and people connected through our, our crusty third eye. And we keep crediting it to woo-woo spirits and aliens before we table the very facts that are outlining and describing a technology that whether it's the videos or the airwaves that you're listening to this podcast on or watching it or these phones and technologies are very much we can even if you and I don't know anything about the factories we could sit here and speculate on what built them so if you just start with what we got genetically, biotechnologically, like how salamanders regrow limbs. Mm -hmm. If we start with what we got, you build the framework of an image that has nothing to do with aliens. It doesn't mean that there aren't aliens. It doesn't mean that we weren't whether visited or whether it was us, whether they came back, whether like Mars and us did not get along, whether or not we had deep space traveling groups that came back and at some point in the ancient past really like they went at each other and then 75,000 years ago, Mount Toba goes off and they really hated and like, oh shit, they're really banging on each other. And that's, you know, the biggest super volcanic worst case scenario, which I really think the net net of Toba going off in South Asia, 75,000 plus or minus a thousand years ago, that's what caused the glacial, the last glacial maxims and changes that made what ultimately at 12,600 years ago, the reason the world was so in a, in a basically a crap state is the really the secondary result of Mount Toba going off around 75,000 years ago. And then we have this period where Denisovan and Neanderthal and humans are all breeding together. It's literally dating to almost Mount Toba. And then there's some war, there's some conflict, there's something. And then we end up post younger Dryas with now we're crap kicked with the encore and then whether natural or both. And we end up in this post-flood society that here we are in this final round. But all that being said, uh, we can talk about aliens and we can look at all the questions to table, but it's a super exciting time, I think, to figure this all out if we're willing to be wrong. Like you said, you have to be willing and not only have the right, but you just have to look at, instead of this established dogma, we have to look at this and, and, and when the best neurosurgeons in the world are working with people I know and uh, their damaged brains, I mean, like I, I'm from, I'm from Minnesota and we have the Mayo clinics. I mean, there's not, there are people flying out from all over the world to go to the Mayo clinics. And when you have the best neurosurgeons in the world, when, when they're holding up their finger and they're pointing out their pinky, they're saying, this is how much we know about the human brain. And, and we're sitting here with some sort of hubris about, Oh, we got it all figured out. We got our past figured out. We don't, I'm sorry. I should calm down. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Jared, because I've yeah. always said this. I've said, because 
again, I was I was raised Pentecostal Christian all my life. Okay, so I was asking questions that sort of like you weren't getting answered, and it's kind of like no, you just need to believe. Well, why? Because oh, because in, in this story, you know, this other guy said this thing. Uh, well, where's the, where? The, no, yeah. And then when you when you can't get past that, like oh no, you need to read the scriptures. Like no, you need to feel it now. Now you need to. Yeah. meditate and and ask for guidance and it's like wait a minute wait a minute. okay well, you know okay there's the book of enoch why isn't that in the canon well you know the council of nicaea constantinople uh, you know holy roman empire you got a whole but that's why it's his story not his it's his to the victor the spoils so and i've always said why the fuck does elon musk want to go to mars when we don't even understand what's at the bottom of our oceans you have Right. Things at the bottom. Uh, what's the Japan's uh, Yonaguni? I believe it's yeah Yonaguni yeah. monument. You have off the coast of India. You have off the coast of Cuba. Right. You have a yeah. bunch of things off the coast. The, the Bimini Road or whatever it's called. All these things at the bottom of our oceans that we don't even understand. And you want to go and after you, I, I, you know, you have people that talk about oh there's overpopulation. No, there's not. If you, you can go to some places where it's just fucking miles and miles and miles of yeah. land with nobody in sight, where if you break your ankle and you're by yourself or your, your leg or something, you're dying. Like there's nobody out there. You know, there's no cell yeah. reception. And you're going to tell me it's overpop. No, what I, what I feel has happened throughout this entire time, because I do believe that the world back then was like Harry Potter. I do believe that it was, you know, everything was more, look at Welsh mythology. It's all magical and all this, you know, dragons and all this stuff. I do believe at one point in time, it was a more of a humanism movement. But then you have organized religion that comes in and they take away from that humanism movement. In specific, the church, right? You have the Vatican, which has 53 miles of corridors, something like that underneath it, if you want to believe that, with relics and things in there that have taken away from the humanism movement of no you can't achieve divinity yourself maybe jesus buddha krishna vishnu all these guys back then quetzalcoatl all these guys they understood things like how wim hof says hey listen we could all do it and it just so happened to be that they became messiahs because people couldn't understand what the fuck they were looking at okay but then organized religion comes in and it's like how can we benefit from this well let's make it into a brokered experience how can we make money from this well tell them that they can't we'll save a seat for them up wherever the hell we say and if they pay their tithing 10 percent, yeah 10 percent. fuck yeah let's do it yeah awesome and then they set up this whole grand scheme of things where it's just a brokered experience you can't achieve divinity if it's not through us and that's the way it's going to be. Hey, it's a big club and we might save you a seat if you're good enough, but watch out because he's always watching. Okay. Oh, shit. The fuck? Whoa, you saw that? <laughs> I did. And what? I just rolled with it. But for all those listening, they don't know. I just, did you hear my response? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I 100% agree with you. It, it's it's very much a system that, and that's why I said family of origin story. You know, when you get hooked a certain way, then one of the things that's hard for every human being that wants to answer is to the who, what, where, when, and why of us and all the murder and horrible things like you've pointed out that have happened because of religions of any kind or, or dogmas of any kind. The issue is everyone still has, no matter what you believe, 
there is a burning, uh, like you said, well, like um, Graham Hancock said, uh, we're a species with amnesia. Mm -hmm. The issue is how deep, how bad. And, and I think it comes up when people like Wim Hof and assorted others are activating actual skills and we're also doing things like the power of eight and we're doing things that we're manifesting in religion, like the group collective, like Sufis. I have a friend who's a Sufi. Um, those interviews, that, uh, you know, space that we can live in once we're aware of it, once people have learned or watched, I think it's getting harder and harder to control that narrative. Because like you said, there's, if you take 8 billion people and you give them an acre, the entire planet fits in about two and a half Texases. Texases, yeah. It's yeah, that's it. And, and so the reality is we are not overpopulated. And we, it's already been pointed out for years. America has enough food to feed the world and still get fat. So, <laughs> I mean, people don't get that. It's not enough food and we're all rationed. It's like we have enough food to literally all still get fat. But it doesn't and, work that way, Jared, because they have to keep you in a constant state of yeah. fear. Right. Right now, it's the monkeypox yeah. bullshit that's going around. First, it was covid now we have this whole next because, again, I mean, I am the least fan of the pharmaceutical companies. My dad has MS. He's got diabetic. He's diabetic. He's got all this stuff. His his MS treatment is like 40 to thirty thousand dollars a month for the rest of his life. There's no treatment. And then you have things such as quantum healing that I know personally of people who have done it and it works out for them. Quantum healing. But it's almost like. You know, you mentioned Sufism and all this stuff. That's considered, oh, that's black magic. You know, all this oh, shit well, that people, oh, it's black magic. That, that's evil. Again, because of the organized religion. And then when you start to look in, into alternative and holistic, uh, yeah. uh, you, know, um, alter, you know, alternative uh, methods, it's looked down upon. Oh, that's, you know, you can't be messing around with that. that so it's a system that's created on purpose that way. How are you saying? There, there is... You know, food for everybody. There is enough space for everybody. But what do we always see? Because we have these people in society who only believe what the reality. In the Truman Show, at the very end, at the very beginning, we goes, "Why do you think Truman hasn't figured out why you know he's in a in a game show, or whatever?" He goes, "Well, because we believe the reality that's presented to us." So when people follow the mainstream narrative, the mainstream media, history, whatever that may be. You start to believe that you start to live that reality because I do 100 percent believe in em emanationism, you know, where you radiate yeah. your reality, you create your own reality. And these are self-fulfilled prophecies where people start to believe a certain way. And it comes true because like you said earlier, there is a collective conscious. There is a collective, uh, you know, this mind hive type of thing where if enough people think that the sky is blue or the sky is orange it'll be orange if enough people believe that the earth is flat it'll be flat it's whatever the fuck you want it to be you know what i mean it's got electrolytes it got what the body craves <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be so it's mind over matter and i i tried wim hof one time or twice something like that and i think i did it in bed i heard you talking about it with Joe where it was like you needed to submerse yourself in, in ice, ice water or something like that. You need the cold water. You, you do ultimately. The, yeah. I, I've been, uh, I, when I was listening to you talk about, it, I was like, let me, I'm going to try it out. I have this, this tub. I'm in Florida. So the ice is not going to hold up very long, but I, I, I want right, to try it out. Yeah. Um, you know what? Don't. <laughs> so for, I think it's worth going to the Wim Hof method. I have nothing to do with it. Um, I was part of the first, 
there was a hundred something of us on Treasure Island in San Fran. The first time Wim Hof came to America, I was fortunate enough to be a part of that group. And um, they said, hey, you are the first people in America to ever meet Wim and do this collectively. So they gave us, I have free access to the Wim Hof method. Uh, I would 100%, it's only a couple hundred, I think it's a couple hundred bucks still, but the app I hear is good, but if you go to the site, there's a 60-day program. It's really inexpensive because you get access to all of his bios and everything else. And I'm just throwing that out there for people. Again, I have nothing to do with Wim Hof's, the Wim Hof Method site. But I will tell you that the 60-day program starts you at it 30 seconds and then a minute and then a couple minutes and then five minutes and then 10 minutes. And then you don't get to fully submerse in ice until you've, you know, you're doing cold showers. Um, I would suggest to go light on the ice if you have to do it in a tub i think submerse uh like to your neck is a great idea but you know keep it like i hate to say medium cold but don't like fill it like it's going to be a, a redneck uh, uh beer cooler and you know go straight into a giant ice bath your first time around i i will i will say though that there is a connection which they've proven out, you know, there's all these cryo chambers for athletes now, or people are into it for training. You know, they all go to these uh, tanks now and go get frozen for five seconds or 30 seconds. And these cryo, um, like getting a tan now, you know, there's a lot of uh, places there, they're, they're definitely in Minnesota too, where you can go and, you know, depending on your level of what, what you're training or what you're doing, you know, now you can get these quick nitrogen freeze or carbon, you know, I don't know if they're just doing, uh, a liquid co2 or what but you're basically just hyper chill for a, yeah that's a thing and it looks like you're in kind of a spray tan booth and uh people are really into it now but it, it's activating there's a lot of there's a lot of science behind this but at, but the result of the wim hop breathing just you laying there i'm curious before we even go further i mean how to how to go for you i fell asleep <laughs> i was laying in bed one day and i'm like let me try because i have a friend of mine who told me about Wim Hof probably like three years ago. He's like, yeah, dude, I've tried it. He's like, you know, I've, he's like, I've passed out, you know, from just do, doing it on the, you know, on the, not the cold showers, but just doing the breathing, you know, the get, get high on your own supply. Right. Uh, because yeah. we talk about psychedelics, we talk about DMT, we talk about mushrooms, but it's like the body can produce all these things, you know, that it can produce yeah. DMT, the lungs being one of the main, one of the biggest organs that produces DMT within the body. So if you're able to, to meditate and find a way to bring that forward again, things that we've lost through what, through the poisoning in our foods, through the, what they're putting in the air, you know, through when you first, when you go to, to a, a doctor, what's the first thing that they tell you? Like, oh, well, you need a, a prescription. You know, these things that grow from the ground, marijuana that grows from the, from soil, water yeah. and sunlight. No, that's bad. You know why? Because they can't control. <laughs> yeah. It's a free thing. How can you convert? You can commercialize it, but it's free. So anybody yeah. can grow their own wheat plant in their, in their backyard or grow their own psilocybin mushrooms or do whatever. But no, no, no. If the big man, if big brother can't have his hand, you know, in that bag or in that cookie jar, then it doesn't work. So that's why these things get demonized. A hundred percent. I do believe that the government suppresses a bunch of things that are actually good for, you know, you talk oh, about sage. You, you started it like when we were talking religion earlier, sage, sage is evil and the oh, devil. That's, and yet that's, it, that's we know it takes out, uh, 
bacteria and, and cleanses and is purifying. It's actually not just a religious gobbledygook. I mean, sage is important, but it was, it's the witch's brew. I didn't know that. But, you, you know, you, you mentioned Michael Tillinger, uh, and I I'd hit him up like probably like three years ago to come on the show, and he, I think he said no. He he talks about the because you talk about cymatics, right? And how these ancient megalithic structures, I, I forgot the name you used for it, cymatic, polygon, uh, what's the name? Uh, cymatic, I just call them, yeah, polygonal, uh, you know, just the weirdly shaped blocks that are at Oyante Tambo, Sakse Waman, you know, Machu Picchu, so like that. Nikola Tesla, he said, you know, if you look at things from a frequency point of view, vibration, sound, something I'm paraphrasing, He's like, you know, that that unlock that's the key to the universe or something like that. Three, six, and nine and all these things. And and I think he said something along the lines where if you look at, you know, if you study the metaphysical, you know, science will advance more in ten years than it has since the very beginning. Some something or other. We know that frequencies is everything. You know, when you have a dis, uh, disease, it's a dis-ease, right? If I am able to match the frequency in my hand to the one in the, you know, to the frequency in the table, I can put my hand through the table. You know, we know all these things. Michael Tillinger, I was listening to a lecture that he was doing on YouTube uh, a, a week ago or something like that, where he talked about how there was this guy healing people through sounds. He was curing them of uh, diseases through cymatics, I guess. I mean, you know, sound. Royal, Royal Rife? Like, historically, was he talking about Royal Rife, or was it, uh, like, um, Dr. Anthony uh, Holland? I didn't catch the name, but he was... Talking. Okay. Because there's um, Anthony Holland, I, I wrote about him in my book, but he he's a professor of music, and he's killing MRSA and leukemia and uh, dozens and dozens of bacteria and viruses and MRSA and cancer cells. And they're doing it with frequency. And you can see the TED Talk on it for anyone listening. If you just look up uh, Professor Anthony Holland, um, destroying disease with, like, do TED Talk, destroying disease with sound or frequency. And you'll you'll come up with it. So but Anthony Holland? Can, yeah, yeah. And you'll see actual video of, of up close of an example of them using sound and frequency to destroy bacteria. You'll actually get to watch it. And uh, Royal Rife, of course... So here's how that's related. It's he's an inventor and he's a chauffeur uh, in the thirties and he comes up with a machine and the catch is you have to have a big enough carrier wave to break the skin and to be able to hit a cancer or a disease or wherever there's a problem. And Royal Rife, this he's pretty much a genius. He experiments um, and he publishes and there are physical uh, the front pages of the frequencies and what all of the different frequencies cure were published. Well, Anthony Holland took that work and that Ted talk is from like 2008. And one of the things he started a private company and ultra high frequency ultrasound, or uh, I think they initialize a UFI or UFI or I don't know, but that's standard practice in English hospitals. If you look up the HIFA, the high frequency intensive ultrasound, they use coordinated and isolating. A, this is different technically from Royal Rife, but there are people with actual Royal Rife machines uh, that are using it. I've been witness to them actually um, destroying cancer. I actually worked with someone who we, I will just say that when the oncologist looked at the results after a few weeks said, I don't understand your cancer is in full remission. There's only two things that changed. One was, 
the diet hadn't changed. The other medications hadn't changed. There were two, two, two medicines. One was one that was recently banned that we're not supposed to talk about because it's a horse dewormer. And then the <laughs> other thing was that she was given um, the Royal Rife treatments and that they were totally effective. But ultra, the high frequency uh, ultrasound treatments, if you look them up, they're standard practice in England. It's no big deal. Like here, it's still, there's a place in Arizona that does them and it helped with someone's trigger finger. They got trigger finger where they couldn't move a finger for anyone listening. It's like, you don't want trigger finger. It sucks. But there is only a few places in our country that is using high frequency ultrasound as it, it, yet it's a standard practice in Europe. So the ideas and the concepts around high frequencies treating diseases and muscle issues and cancers and bugs and killing bacteria. It's not only not new, but it's bizarre at this point. There's no yin and yang. It's just like something goes just way out one way where you can hear about, you can start, you know, internet searching high frequency ultrasound treatments for cancers and other things. And, 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 Oh, uh, there is a huge facility in England that does it. And it's standard practice. And meanwhile, good luck trying to find somewhere in America to do they'd, it. They'd rather blast your entire body with yeah. this poison than focus on the one point that actually needs it. And yeah. Jared, it, they want to keep you sick. They want to keep you coming back. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's like, hey, you know, it's not a bit. It, look at the insulin industry. Yeah. The the insulin industry, the U.S. provide, and it's a monopoly of three companies that provide the insulin here in the States that provide, I think it was 15, don't quote me on this, 15% of the world's supply, but make up 50% of the entire revenue of the industry. Okay. How is that yeah. okay? How, you, you know what I mean? How is that okay? And, and you obviously, you see the greed. And, I, you know, I get, yeah. it's a lot of things at play. You know, you have capitalism, you have a bunch of things at play. But and essentially, you know, it's what I talk about. If you want to take it in a literal sense or not, you know, I talk about the reptilian overlords that are at, you know, they they want to, you know, line their pockets. And it's all about money, 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 because it's one thing, Jared, to know that you're in a game versus to not know you're in a game. So when you're when yeah. you know that you're in the game. You know, if you want to take that figuratively, literally, whatever, however the shoe fits, you're going to you're going to hold yourself a certain way. You know what I mean? But there's people who don't understand. They're so fragile. You we brought up Nietzsche at the beginning of the uh, you know, before we start recording. And I see it as the type, the tight rope, uh, the tight rope walker where it's, you know, man uh, essentially is symbolic of man over the abyss. Right. And I feel that some people. Uh, the, mentally or spiritually or even physically, they are easily swayed and they will tip on that tightrope and go into the abyss. And I mean, that that can lead to a whole bunch of different things. But uh, that's the society. A lot of people need to have their hand held in order. You know, they need religion. I think religion is important. I think a set of core beliefs is important. Now, when you start to let it rule over you and, you know, attributing everything that you do to that it's like oh why, why'd you do that oh because you know because god told me to it's like wait what you know how many people god is told to murder a bunch of innocent people oh why'd you do it oh god was talking to me you know what i mean like they murder their entire family because they were here and so you know what i mean like things like that which is it's a whole it's a whole nother uh rabbit hole but you know you know what i'm yeah. getting at that there's some people who uh they're easily swayed in society and 
You call those sometimes you call those people sheeple or you know whatever. But um, back to the to the whole thing. They are greedy. It's all about money. And if you really look at money, what is money? It's like it's a semi-locker. It's something. It's an empty piece of paper that you know that that we all agree consciously. Again, that collective conscious to use it to what? It's like I'm gonna pay you, Jared, in these pieces of paper. It's like, but what happens when every and the and the craziest part because we're talking about religion and all this shit. The craziest part about money and the monetary system is the number one thing that holds it together is faith. Because if we all lost faith within money and we all just said, hey, you know what? Fuck this. We're not even going to follow it. What then? Back to bartering. Back to gold doubloons and weights <laughs> and measures. And, you know what uh, I mean, though? It's crazy. If I you really gave you my three chickens. You owe me half a cow. Yeah. Well, but if you really break it down and you really start thinking about like, wait a minute, it's like you, we let the, we start, you know, we're back at the Egyptian times where the, the politicians are these pharaohs, you know, they are these, they're deified. And I wanted to ask you a question as far as, you know, because we do, we're talking about religion and ancient scripture and all this stuff. And a lot of things that we're talking about, I mean, we're all over the place, but it, it all, it all relates because the, the point being is that there are things that we can do as humans as people that they don't want us to know and by they i'm talking about the lizards okay i like to call them the the, you know the archons the reptilian over whatever the lizards they don't want you to know because again look at what happened to nikola tesla he's like hey i want to have free energy and jp morgan was like nah homeboy it's like free for who no like and he cut off the funding and then it went to uh thomas edison Uh, you have westinghouse you have a bunch of lizards that industrialized it i'm doing an episode on rockefeller coming up soon talk about yeah like the rockefeller foundation talk about lizards they were ruthless okay they kick-started the oil industry okay and what's found in everything in in all our products petroleum and all this shit it's like they knew what they were doing from the very beginning and they would just uh, i mean they did a whole bunch of different practices but what are your thoughts on because if it's not aliens there, what do you think about the giants and all these things that we see in these ancient scriptures? Uh, you know, we're, I've, I've always said like the fertile crescent, right? You have ancient Mesopotamia and all these places. And I've always said, I go, wait a minute. So you're, you're telling me that because the oldest piece of literature we have is what the Epic of Gilgamesh. I said, so there was nothing else going on in the Americas. Nothing else going on in Japan or China or anywhere. Yeah. It was all a concentration of people at that one point in time that kickstarted everything. Because they said, "What's well, the? It's the 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 you know, the center of humanity or civilization or whatever it was." It's like so there was nothing going on anywhere else except that one place. Um, yeah, and we're so we're so far away from that because. I, here's a recommendation to everyone who's listening on your show. Uh, screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. So I, when I started early re- research on my book, um, one of the first things I found was go back like Tepe. Mm-hmm. Now, this is five years ago. So you have Klaus Schmidt well along in his research. You know, they had started in the 90s, really hard going at it. He had discovered it much earlier. Um well, rediscovered it, right? So the earliest stuff a few years ago on Gobekli Tepe was, and it was even in, 
it was even, and I kind of want to use the Wayback Machine and try to sort this out. And I've been looking, I've been trying, but the old articles on Gobekli Tepe always cited two things that you never see anymore. One, now they'll say the vernacular is at least 12,000 years old. And now they've dialed it back. They start. They started to say 10,000 plus <laughs> years old, but no, it was always 12 to older. But originally they were saying it was, the conservative sites, the more standard academic sites, were saying it was 12 to 16 years old, 12 to 18,000. But there were many sites talking about uh, the, the articles, the mainstream, 18 to 25,000 years old. And then this is, this is now the capstone is why I say screenshot. And I've been going back to the same articles, specifically with Klaus Schmidt, like in some Mandela effect. And they were specifically saying they had done carbon dating and they had found organics dating to 32, 35,000 years plus. Now, that is all gone. I can't find it. And it pisses me off to no end because we know that Gobekli Tepe is twelve to 20,000, give or take, at a minimum. Now, I, I'm in Texas right now, and I just visited the Galt Archaeological Site. And the Galt Archaeological Site is incredibly important. I, I, we're not digressing, and I'm going to stay on this, on the question, this part of the question and answer, is that Around the world, the Galt Archaeological Site is one of the most important in the world. In America, it it's almost as if it doesn't exist. One, it's never one heard of, of it. Yeah, so it's the largest. Okay, and we already know. And the and the one of the co-founders of the site, PhD in archaeology and ancient archae architectural archaeology, so like Great Pyramid of Giza stuff, like stone construction, etc. But they found a stone floor at this site that's at least 20,000 years old. And it's one of 19 North American mastodon kill sites with tools next to the young female mastodon that was being carved up for dinner. Um, the site has Terra Preta, and it's north of Austin, about 40, 30, 45 minutes, I think. And Oh, here and, in the States? Yeah, it's in Texas, just oh, north of Austin. Shit. I thought it was. I thought you were talking about overseas somewhere. That's crazy. No, but we can talk about way at Laco, Mexico, where in the 60s, Virginia Steen McIntyre, that Michael Cremos championed for years, they found a site that was human-occupied, and they brought in, the archaeologists brought in Virginia Steen McIntyre. She was a rising geologist, a star in geology. She came in from Colorado, I think, and with seven other uh, geologists, they dated the site 275 to 350,000 years old. Uh, they said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. It's all Clovis, mind you. The Galt Archaeological Site is also the location of the most Clovis artifacts, and they gave the best analogy. He gave me, I just love his example. He goes, people in China have iPhones. People in America have iPhones, but they're not the iPhone culture, are they? Different people, <laughs> different apps. So wow. all over America, there are Clovis-level artifacts, and in many interviews, you'll hear people, standard academic, non-thinking, sheepy. They're like, well, why don't you dig below what's supposed to be Clovis? Because they all came from the land bridge, from the Bering Straits, Jason Mastodons. Which, by the way, there's only 19. If there was Mastodons running around everywhere, there'd be a lot more Mastodon kill sites. But there's only 19, and one of them just happens to be at the Galt site. So, And they've only dug up 3% of it. And they've been at it since the 90s hardcore but anyway so the clovis allegedly are the first people here and that's only 
you know, 13 plus, give or take, you know, they came across a land bridge, you know, no one else. Well, what are you doing in Mexico, in northern Mexico with Weatlaco, with a uh, site that's human? And since Virginia Steve McIntyre was crucified for that find, for establishing geologically, laser guided, not a bunch of archaeological anthropology uh, apology opinions, they established that this site is at least 275 to 350,000 years old. Whoa. And at the end of the day, well, I could digress further on that. Here's the point. Gobekli Tepe is at least more likely, it, it, it's probably way over that 25,000 year mark, but from what they found of the pillars they found and what we're stating, it's past the Younger Dryas. So if it was just way at Laco, Mexico, if it was just the Galt site, if it was just Gobekli Tepe, which shows signs of permanent habitation along with river rock, like it's already been abandoned and like we're finding it in a state where it's already been occupied by a few different cultures because nobody builds columns says we're bored and lazy now. Let's use river rock to build walls. That's like, you're already seeing, I'm looking at it from a design build construction standpoint. You are way past where I'm going is you're way past Mesopotamia you're way past when we say written records, you know, like Gil Gilgamesh is a great point because we in the West are blinded. We don't look to the hairpin who have perfect North, South, East, West streets. They're doing everything on the cardinal points. They have plumbing. It's a society that was larger than greater Egypt. And then you have ancient megalithic Japan, not just what's underwater. Mm -hmm. You have what's on, you have megalithic construction, polygonal construction on, on Japan above water. And like you pointed out earlier, you did mention that city off the coast of Cuba. This is so important for people to understand that even with the theory of hydrostatic uh, tectonic plate shifting, there's a city off the coast of Cuba that's 2,300 feet deep, that's pyramidal, that no clandestine lizard or anybody you want or Atlanteans have been able to mess with. The city could not have been above water except at least 50,000 years ago at a minimum and likely pre-Mount Toba. So we have hardcore sites that show that if you go off of a written record, you get blurred, you get into legends and myths, post like people tell good stories, they fill in blanks, they don't wanna not have answers. They gotta have something to talk about at a party and you gotta have a ritual. So the reality is we fill in a lot of blanks with these stories and then when we relate to them through those stories, these post-dynastic stories, we get stuck projecting our our, our, our youths and our experiences with these religions and everything else where we go, well, this is what I see because this is what I grew up with. And well, it's got to be one of these because this is what I grew up with. Well, that's not what, uh, 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 what now, like at Way at Laco, they think it's at least 350 to a half a million years old. Whoa. What were those people doing? Who were they living alongside? What ancient, simplistic tribal people were living alongside some very advanced human race that had full full consciousness. So the the reality is that we don't have a human record that says that the oldest society is all at all in Mesopotamia, let alone all the sites we keep finding in the East, which again, there's this big non-communicado between the East and the West. And so that there's a lot of different layers to the problems of communication and what we're looking at, but we have to start uh, saying out loud, the epics of Gilgamesh and, and Sumeria are not the oldest society on earth, not even close. The Gobekli Tepe site is not the first. It's just the first one you chose to dig up because there's at least six other Tepes that barely get news time. Like I was doing the research five years ago and I'm like, 
how is it that they're only talking about Gobekli, which is only 5% dug up, yet there's six, there's five other Tepes, and they're older, and they're bigger. A buddy of mine, sorry to cut you off, told me that they found a site next to it that's even older than Gobekli Tepe, and they don't talk about, they don't talk about this shit. Karin and... Yeah, and there, there's a bunch. There's mm-hmm. five. And I, I wrote about all of them just for an overview for everyone to go out there and look and just um, start looking at those sites. And what, But then the problem is then you lose track of your narratives. You know, it, it's difficult because if you can't re- relate to it based on a written story, which is okay, I want everyone to know that it's, it's good. If you're just getting into this and you're getting excited and you've heard about Anunnaki and you've, mm-hmm. you've heard about the Book of Enoch, I mean, it's in the Ethiopian. I mean, the Ethiopian uh, Christianity is supposed to be considered, you know, the best flavor or the most pure and irrelevant to the councils. It's like, what about all the Gnostic texts? I mean, we could go talk about all that. Aghamadi, Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, I love all that shit. Yeah, we could all, we could digress into that forever, but it, it doesn't start to table the real questions because at the end of those stories, at the end of those debates, at the end of that, uh, we get more informed. And, it, and, it, and And here's the thing. Every single one of us, everyone listening, we all have genetic memory. We not just instinct. What the fuck, man? We're still recording, and I'll just man. The lizards are hard at work today. They go, you're not going to spread the truth about this shit. You seen that? That's twice. It's crazy. This never happens to me. This is wild. Uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed stuff like that. Yeah. So what? What? Where did we cut out? I you talk about the Anunnaki, talk about epic of uh, uh, the Nagamati, yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls, but we can't get lost in that. And then I. Yeah. Okay. So where I was going is, is that we have the truths, the facts of these ancient, ancient cities that we're starting to find, along with the proof of something we haven't even touched, like the Paracas, these elongated, skulled humans. We have a genetic record that that not only can we refer to but something that is it's not like it was yesterday but i'm going to bring something up that is not talked about yet it's although it's i'm going to say it's cutting edge yet it's been around over a decade but it's finally getting news time and it's something called nuclear sedimentary dna testing and it recently made the news uh, you can find it, for instance, in Ancient Origins, and you can find it on Science Daily about Doggerland, which is all the land between Scotland and France, where it was one continental shelf. And what's very fascinating about this is that a lot of what is off the coast of France and England and Ireland and Scotland was above water even 6,000, 8,000 years ago, so post-Younger Dries. But you hit 8,000 years ago and go further it is a massive continent with rivers and valleys, and it spans all the way to Scotland. And in and everyone knows salt water is not good for your car, and it's not good for well, salt water does some real wreckage on homes and wood. And s- nuclear DNA sedimentary testing, which again, it's like over ten years old, but it's finally getting the news time. And the news time is saying, okay, well, the articles were. Nuclear DNA sedimentary testing of Doggerland flora and fauna identified. This is, this is, okay, it sounds exactly like what it is. Nuclear atomic sedimentary, like granules of fill in the blank, rotted, dusted, 
decomposed uh, elements of living things were sifted out of salt water in the ocean and they have been identified not for like medieval times or Roman times, but when Doggerland was above water, they've been able to identify out of these bits through nuclear DNA testing that, hey, flora and fauna would have looked like this six, eight, 10, 15, 20,000 years ago. And they've also done it in a cave where they found a lot of Denisia men. And in that cave, this is a, a, a Science Daily article. You have 127 species of plants, animals. Imagine not just having to find a bone, but for all the sites we look at, we go, well, they're just dust. There's nothing there. Like out of a sci-fi Merlin magic, nuclear DNA is going to change everything because you cannot lie. Well, you can, but it's going to be harder and harder to lie about what you're finding because already they've shown Denisia men were traveling to the Pacific Islands. Well, Denisia men weren't supposed to be able to go over there, but it's not just that they're going to find a, what in our minds is a lineal path back to humanity. You have human beings, anatomically correct human beings. Like one of the first things we started with anatomically correct human beings are older than what we think. That means that people like you and I, we're inventing and doing things, including polygonal masonry and giant seismic metamaterials that control earthquakes and frequencies and energies. And they were already doing that work thousands of years ago. We have complementary societies that are living on every continent. We have ancient engineers. This is the one thing I started with, and it's not sinking in for a lot of people yet. If you have very advanced ancient engineered soil for buildings for growing for filtering out a heavily uh industrialized air you know terra preta wasn't just for growing they may have been using it and making it in mass and by the way terra preta as in black soil portuguese for black earth can you talk a, a little bit about that because we've brought it up a few times and i know it's one of your main things but it's the, this engineered soil and my my wife is brazilian so uh can you right. talk a little bit about that because i think that's very fascinating Oh, it's so cool because, you know, they're saying, okay, well, uh, specifically in Brazil, specifically in the Amazon, they're like, okay, this is a wet desert. And more and more is coming out about, you know, you think about the Garden of Eden. The funny thing is, is that a lot is coming out and it's been the last over 30 years because there's been documentaries like the early, when, when I was young, it was, we're going to destroy the rainforest like 27 years ago. It was going to be gone. And so they started clearing forests and they started finding ruins of cities, like not big pyramid cities, but like more primitive or earthworks. And then they started finding giant earth, kind of like Nazca lines. They started finding images. And so this is all supposed to be virgin forest and it's not. And then there's been more and more evidences to show that the Amazon is really an out of control. What was once probably a perfect garden. And I'm not saying it was gardening. I'm just saying it was uh, a man-made botanical, what? maybe bioengineered vibrational medicine. The entire you know, rainforest. It's possible. Oh, it, it's not. It's not just random. 
and it wasn't just unoccupied. That's fucking crazy, Jared. Uh, yeah, and so <laughs> so you you look at engineered soil like Terra Preta, and so you have these archaeologists going, so we've only identified about 10% of it, and they kind of have like these swatch maps of just around the Amazon. So the the part about the loggers, there's whole documentaries about the loggers in, in, in Brazil finding as first off so you have all these people chaining themselves to trees going you're destroying the natural virgin random rainforest that's just been here for dinosaurs meanwhile they they get rid of the people the protesters and they clear the trees and there's an old settlement and it's like oh wait it's not virgin and then oh wait there's terra preta oh wait um now we're doing lidar scans in guatemala and everywhere else and we're finding out that south america just based on the lidar scans in 500 800 square miles of a 5,000 square rectangular section that, you know, that started three, four years ago that started with those LIDAR scans that found 60,000 structures. They're like, we've grossly underestimated the populations of Central and South America. We could easily say there was 15 or 20 million people. They've literally gone from saying that a few thousand people on a land bridge banging rocks from Alaska uh, built every pyramid and city all the way from North America to South America and now we have, uh, not only do we have the sites at Weatlaco and in other places in northern Mexico, we have whole pyramids that are under lava flows that are at least eight to 10,000 years old, maybe 15 or 20,000. But then we have shell mound cultures and we have the Olmecs and Toltecs and all the dynastic stuff to talk about. But the reality is Terra Preta, as they found it now, it has a couple of different personalities. They've been studying it for a long time. And the modern versions are called biochar. So it means... If you and I were going to open up a winery or if you and I were going to sell apples or a cidery, uh, we could grow those trees or those vines. And within the soil mix is kind of like super expensive potting soil. They've developed biochars where they've mixed woods and other organics. And they've said, if you put this added to the soil, you're going to have a more nutrient, uh, uh, you know, it's a personality that those vines are really going to like or that apple tree is really going to like. But now imagine a giant rainforest, which right now, as they clear it, there's already population centers there. And it's like, okay, well, that's odd. And then the thing about Terra Preta specifically, the identical formula, not as in Coca-Cola made by the same company, not extra spiked for Mexico with more sugar, but like more cocaine in that one. There's more cocaine in that one versus the one. Right? Was. <laughs> so you got... Terra Preta in Brazil showing up in North Africa and in the savannas of South Africa. That's wild. How is the identical soil recipe on continents that weren't supposed to be talking together, let alone vast amounts of soil that clearly managed a much larger populations? And right away we go, well, I want to grow healthy food. Oh, no, no, no. It's filtering heavy metals. It has piezoelectric. It can send signals. And just in Brazil, standard academics have said, well, it, we, from what we can tell, there's an area, because uh, Brazil, for people who don't, I mean, obviously, people think Brazil's big. I don't think they understand how big Brazil it's really huge. is. huge, yes. The, that's very accurate statement. And <laughs> they have an area in Brazil, and it still doesn't do shit to explain how big Brazil is. There's an area twice the size of Spain that they've identified with Terra Preta. Wow. That's just what they think they found, right? And and so 
long, long point, one of the side points here is that the Amazon's always been considered a wet desert where on one hand it gets rain, but it's been considered untillable. It's been considered unmanageable as farmland and dynastic peoples as in Aztecs, Olmecs, uh, Toltecs, uh, Mayans, and assorted other a million different tribes. There's slash and burn, which is a farming technique that does create and add elements and kind of compost. We do that here in Florida. We burn the swamps to promote growth for oh. other fauna and, and plants and shit. So we do that here in Florida. They'll, they'll burn whole parts. You know, if you go to these uh, parks sometimes, the Everglades, you'll see where it's burnt, like completely. And they're like, no, yeah, we need to do that in order to make it keep They just going. let it go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I come from the upper Midwest. I mean, we you had to have prairie fires, or there would only be trees. If you didn't, if you wanted prairie, if you wanted grass, if you wanted to feed giant tens of thousands of bison, uh, bison is delicious, know. by the way. It's amazing. So there you go, or buffalo, or you know that that there's there is uh, a need to have fire, and if you if you if anyone wants to get slightly scared or understand that the earth is always on fire. Billy Joel was not kidding. Just look at a f- world fire map. There's always, there's never not a fire. It's like it's when, frost- when Faust, he asked Mephistopheles, like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. It's like, we are in hell. <laughs> you know, like the Gnostics, like this is hell. It's like, we're already here, but what Heaven, you're getting, you make at, it, yeah, right. exactly. And what, so what you're getting at Jared, cause this is mind blowing. And I never thought of it that way because yeah. for those that don't know, Brazil is huge, okay? There's different dialects of, of of Portuguese that people speak in the southern part of Brazil that's completely different than the northern part of Brazil. There's full communities of, again, not to be racist, black Brazilians, like dark-skinned Brazilians. Like, they look like black people. In Brazil, there's certain parts where there's different, like Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's super small, but we have our, you know, our, uh, I'm, from, I'm from Puerto Rico. There's places where you see people like, man, that person's black. It's like, no, they're part of this area and they just have to happen to be of a dark complexion, but they're still Puerto Rican. But what you're getting at is that this is geoengineering. I mean, this is they're they're making, you know, because we we look at what is it? Dubai, where they make rain, rain clouds and they make it rain at certain parts of the year. Uh, You know, Abu Dhabi or somewhere over there where they make clouds. You're talking about like these people were because. They make it seem almost like how you're saying, like, oh, this is, you know, this is uh, this place is uninhabitable. This is this is preposterous. Nobody could ever live here. And as they're clearing it, they're yeah. finding settlements yeah. of people. It's like, wait, so people actually did live here. Is that just to add to your narrative of, oh, it's OK to knock it down because nobody can live here. But then now you're actually finding stuff underneath yeah. the entire canopy of people that were living there. I mean, it, yeah, and there's so there, there's two weird there's a few weird things. One is, what if the the growth and the forestry management, the botanical management, what if what we're really looking at is a lost wild growth uh, herbal medicine garden? And at the same time, Terra Preta is man made. It's not it's not from a bunch of uh, oh what you're saying is oh you know the Amazon's really so I want to make this really clear for people. 
that it's not, if you get it in your head that, oh, you know, there's forest fires everywhere, there was lightning and a bunch of dinos burned and a, and a whole bunch of vegetation that included a whole bunch of herbal medicine. And, and when it all burned down and it all rotted away, uh, it made Terra Preta. No, Terra Preta is a man-made recipe and it's up to 20, well, could be even more, but they found it, it can be 20 feet thick. That means 20 feet, 20 feet, when you think it, when you stand in front of a dugout 20 foot, <laughs> stand in a 20 foot hole and you're going to go, that's a, that's a lot of soil. Shit. It's man-made, Jared. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. It's no, a man-made. It's man-made. It's 100% man-made and it's an area just in Brazil, twice the size of Spain, a planting growing area that they've only found that they're guesstimating to be twice the size of Spain. Wow. Now, it's not all in one batch. There are massive swaths. It's not like there's a guy out there or a few teams going, let's find all the Terra Preta in Brazil. We already have the story of Colonel Percy Fawcett disappearing. Brazil's really big. Colonel Percy Fawcett for the Queen actually did the border survey for Brazil. So his thing was he had gone into the jungles and had actually found pottery shards everywhere. Oh, that's another thing. Terra Preta at some point, I think, there's a couple weird things about it besides the piezoelectric. It filters heavy metals. It filters carbon dioxide. It's the richest growing soil. If you're a paleo guy, to come full circle, if you're looking for, hey, I want to have a potting soil where I grow nutrient-dense food, like I don't want to get it from vitamins, do you know if there's a, I hate, I'm so sorry I'm going to say this, there's a black market for Terra Preta. <laughs> and, and, and I know and it, I know it's a little timely, uh, I know I'm going to quote Wikipedia. Don't quote me exactly, like Juan just said earlier. But do you know that there's a black market for Terra Preta out of the Ukraine to the tune of over 90 million a year? Really? Yeah. So here's the thing. Let's just start with: we were all excited about aliens, and we we're all excited about our past, and we're we're so damn excited about learning about the Anunnaki and these scriptures, and 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 and, and again. Here's the problem. You and I were starved, along with everyone else, we're starved for the Gnostic texts, the, the, what were the councils like? You, you believe in any religion. How do you not know what Q-source is, the two-source theory, the Yahwehist, the Elohist? You, if you do not understand, it's one thing to quote a movie. It's another thing to understand who was the lighting production person, who was the cinematographer. When you wanted, if you want to know the Bible, start mm-hmm. learning the script. I talked about King James. Uh, I did a breakdown of King James. I heard you do that. Yeah. And I mean, if people don't, you know, I'll get emails every now and again. And dude, I've gotten people messaging me like, don't you feel guilty? And I'm like, of course I feel guilty. Sometimes I feel I'm a heretic. You know what I mean? Like I am a heretic. I'm talking about these things that I grew up my entire life. You know, I was 10 years old reading about the book of revelations, reading about the great beast that's coming out of, you know, the harlot. And I remember my grandma telling me stories about if I didn't repent in revelation times that I'd had, I'd have to have my head cut off. And then I was able to go into like, all this shit is traumatic, but they keep yeah. you in this bubble. And it's like how you yeah. said, it's like, I started questioning, Oh, why is the old Testament this way? And a family yeah. member was like, you know what? Just don't read the Old Testament. I go, what do you mean don't read the Old Testament? It's part of the Bible. He's like, no, yeah. no, we just focus on the New Testament. I was like, well, there's so many denominations within organized religion. They can't even agree within themselves what they want to believe. So you expect me to yeah. just blindly follow something that when I ask a question about it's bad? 
No, no. I, you know, and I encourage people on the show. I'm not a, uh, an expert by any means. You know what I mean? I, I learn, uh, I'm having you on right now. I'm learning from you. I learned from, from uh, reading books, uh, watching lectures, listening to pod. That's how I learn. And it's opened. It's changed me. I, if I listen to the first podcast I did, uh, you know, two and a half years ago versus the podcast that I do now, it's a completely different person. You know, like yeah. spiritually and, and, and from knowledge st- standpoint for everything, like it's completely different. Yeah. And there's not, and I said two source. So for people who want to go down a rabbit hole, look up what the two source theory is. Look up what the J source is. Look up what the Eloist is, the Yahwehist. Uh, look up Q source. Look up these things and start your search. If you're going to go down that and question, yeah, the Gnostic text, the the Council of Nicaea. If you want to go, you, you know, they, that'll help you. But start with two source. Start with Q source. Start with start with some things that you will not hear in a church yet are the pillars of what you are being told to believe, and you don't know anything about it. It more than likely most of you don't, or you're told to go to seminary. And eventually, you know, if you talk to people who ultimately go down that road, they shrug and they say, well, ultimately, you just have to make a choice to believe. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you make a choice to question and keep. Qu-. Anyway, but my point about Terra Preta is that it represents land that was being used for either growing uh, trees that connect through bacterial and fungal networks and root systems and interspecies, which is being discovered like in the secret life of trees like Peter Wolholan or Susan, Dr. Susan Simard of Victoria, uh, British, uh, 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 Vancouver, British Columbia. I mean, plants are connected and they have different vibrational and frequency, but they're connected through this soil. So if you are a very advanced frequency energy uh, driven society with an active third eye, with the ability to con- consciously control your immune system, connect and, and actually experience, like we already know there's an, oh, you know, did you know there's an electron discharge when you walk barefoot on the earth? Well, imagine if you had a piezoelectrified soil that connects to every living thing that you grow in a biotech <laughs> system that you manage, and it connects to polygonal construction buildings, which we haven't even gotten to yet. Wow. Uh, what kind of a world? How conscious are you? How connected are you on a soil that if it's here and in and in, in North Africa, and in South Africa, and it's also all over the world, what is this global society doing? How big are they when the entire current human 8 billion people that we think is the biggest can fit in a couple Texases? That's it. That's all we got. We got almost nobody here. It's a shit show. And, and yet in the past, they're terraforming the planet. When you look at the Nazca lines, when you look at a 25, I don't care about the monkey. Okay, very interesting. At some point, somebody graffitied a giant monkey on the Nazca lines. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, look at the big monkey. And then they, but but underneath the Nazca lines, there's Bolivian Nazca lines. I'm just calling them the Bolivian Nazca lines because people can picture what the Nazca lines are, but they don't know that there's actually lines that are, 25 kilometers long that don't vary left or right that seem to be I've met with I've spoken directly and in person with Eric Von Danigan who's an honorary Nazca he's the one who made Nazca famous again after Chariots of the Gods and 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 Eric told me directly 
that they tested the piezoelectric properties of these lines, that they could, that they, there's some, it's like a giant earth circuit or a giant earth antenna that those lines are like the lines you see on a motherboard. So imagine that we're all on a broken in safe mode computer where our bio abilities, our personal consciousness levels, the planet's current state is all part of some very advanced human race crapped on it, messed it up, fought it out. We got hit with Mount Toba going off because we weren't managing our systems. You have Denisia Van Neanderthal and everyone blending after Mount Toba. We have the genetic proof of that. We have elongated, not cranial deformed, but naturally born elongated skull people. We have all of this pile of information that shows that a lot of things were happening, that maybe people witnessed advanced people that were more primitive, and we have these records then post-younger drives that all bring us full circle to a pile of evidence that shows a vast human race with much more advanced abilities gone. But the question then is, are they fully gone, or did some of them make it? And if they were just users of the technology, how long would it take them to rebuild some of their cities, some of their buildings, some of their technologies. Maybe they didn't all get along. Maybe some of them chose to be gods. Maybe some of them digressed. If you have full genetic control of your genome, we're making body mods and splitting tongues and putting in piercings like we're tackle boxes. So lizard people aren't out of the question, right, Jared? So if you and I... Yes or no, Jared? Lizard people aren't out of the question if you want to modify modify your you said it if you can modify your entire genome lizard people are not out of the question now i'm a huge fan of land of the lost because i grew up watching slee stacks almost kill the family (laughs) and do you find it odd that there's a show in the 70s which uh did you ever watch the original land of the lost no i didn't oh you this is your homework because you have devolved slee stacks that just want to kill the humans that are stuck in the original land of the lost, the dad and the two kids. The 1970s. Yeah. It's like in the seventies, late seventies into the eighties, there was like five or it's a lot of it's on YouTube. Um, but you have they the land of the lost has dinosaurs in it. So it's like they go off a waterfall and they end up in like kind of a Jules Verne world. But follow this one. It was done by a Canadian producer. I went so far when I was doing my original book research to try to figure out how is it that randomly you have a show about a a boy, uh, a boy and a girl, brother, sister, and their dad go over a raft, end up in a lost world where there's ancient megalithic buildings that look like it's Tiwanaku, and there are lizard people that are devolved now, but there's one smart one, and he still can use all the crystal technology they have pyramid portals that go all around the land of the lost. They have literally like walk-in phone booth sized pyramid portals that connect you all over the land of the lost for the society that was there and dinosaurs running around. And I'm like, somebody thought of that in the late 70s that there's devolved and advanced lizard slash humans with crystal technology, with transportation. I'm like, that was either a really good acid trip, some really great genetic memory, <laughs> and quite an interesting concept for, I think, I like Will Ferrell, but he did no favors by, I, I wish they would have done a more serious Land of the Lost because it's a pretty, the series, I think, still 
hold some fascinating points. But I gotta check if out you're V American, too. My my buddy told me to check out V. Oh man, yeah. You you the original one scared the hell out of me. I was a teen when that came out. Um, that scared everybody. They were like, oh my god, they're lizards and they're eating people. But if you're a very advanced human and you can do like right now you can get a designer baby i want him to have what color eyes and i want to be able to play the piano or be more uh athletic i mean there's there are things going on right now that there's some questionable ethics what stops a fully conscious advanced human race there's a great ted talk by a neuroscientist and her name's escaping me it's about a 29 minute ted talk and she talks about how the human skin can see this is going to be about palladians and grays and lizard people so where i'm going with this is that if you're going to be in a tiktok that does zero point turns at mach 22 weapons jams and active flight f-22s and can with impunity go any direction at once maybe if you're an advanced human and you have skin and this is what this ted talk is about is on the infrared level the human skin translates and can understand infrared light Mm -hmm. and this whole ted talk is very informative because this neuroscientist is describing how the skin communicates sees and communicates directly with infrared light and if you are translucent and smaller and maybe whitish gray skin grayish big-eyed alien your onboard biotech eyes work better with what appears to be a what we would think of as a flash drive yet the magnetic frequency and energy technology between a, a, a quantum a mind connection and the ability to do those zero point turns requires you to have a body that won't shake itself into a meat shake at Mach 22 and so we assume because they don't look like us i'm calling it rick and morty for those of you who haven't seen Rick and Morty and the battery episode, um, well, he creates a little actual infinite universe in a box to power his car. It breaks. He has to go in there with Morty, and he tells Morty to put on antenna on his head because he's like, hey, these people got to think we're aliens. Any advanced human is under no obligation to explain to us that, hey, you know, look, we're sorry. Ted gave you uh, religion. We're really bad at Ted. Sorry about that. And, and now we're trying for consciousness and, you know, we're trying a couple new things. These guys seem like you won't kill us because, you know, we locked the bunker doors and you guys are basically warlocks and we're really sorry about it. We could have cured cancer a while ago, but, mm, you know, what are, what are they going to do? And, and then if that group doesn't get along with each other, uh, the ones that look reptilian or look like these things that people have legitimate interactions with something that doesn't appear human they are under no obligation to tell us that they were human, that they are human, that they are developing and have continued to call this place home for hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, or millions of years. And the state of the world that we're in now, you know, they they basically leave us alone. Maybe they don't. But the reality is that you're looking at devices and machines and, and peoples that have absolutely no reason to be honest with us. That is concerning. Jared, and I wanted to get your point, uh, point of view on something because we're talking about this. I, I see it as, and I wanted to, I want to say two things because in regards to religion, these great stories that we hear, right? That uh, it's, and it's got, you got to be careful how you say it because 
We're saying yeah. that the area of Iraq, Syria, Baghdad, where they have the ziggurats and all this stuff, isn't where humanity was kickstarted, okay? And when you say that, sometimes people get rubbed the wrong way. They go, no, well, you're just being racist because, you know, those people there were, you know, they were brown and you can't say it. You know what I mean? So you have this aspect of it too. And I forgot what somebody called it once upon a time where if you say that the aliens built it, you're taken away from the indigenous people of the area. It's like, okay, cool. I mean, whatever. You can, whatever. Th this these ideas and these ancient scriptures, because you talk about the Vedas, you know, you got the Bhagavad Gita, you have the Mahabharata, you have the Bible, you have all these ancient scriptures. A lot of it is nationalism, okay, where you yep. you want your people to be the 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 great ones, the ones that yep. ruled, you know, Vishnu and Krishna and all these guys yep. and da 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 and Vishvarupa and all this shit, you know, you have it. But that's also part of rhetoric. The art of memory is also you need to be able to portray information in a story format that so that way it's easier to remember so when these people weren't writing things down because back then in order for you to put things down in a cuneiform tablet you needed to it needed to be really fucking important for you to write it down in some cuneiform tablet so what did yeah. they do they came up with these epic stories that it were easy to recite by the the more ridiculous you make it, the be yeah. the better it's going to sound. The easier it's going to be to you know if if you've ever built a mind palace or not, that's the way it works. You make this crazy fucked up story in your head that's just so absurd. It's it, it's easy to remember, and you build a mind palace and you walk through that mind palace and you go, well, there's Donald Trump in a fucking bathtub full of mustard or some shit to remember some obscure piece of information, whatever it is. So when yeah. you have these stories that they would eventually write write them down, this is how you get these ancient, uh, you know, gods and goddesses. And maybe it was to them, you know, some person of 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 significance for their society, you know. Uh, maybe they were speaking in codes. You know, I talk a lot about alchemy and all these things where they talk in code. So maybe it wasn't a big blue man in the sky with a lightning bolt. It might have been like, hey, this is our code for he was the president of our society. So, you know, some crazy shit. So all this to say that this is part of the art of memory. So, And these people, you know, we androgenize everything. We want everything to be a person. We want everything to be, yeah. you know, a story. That way it's easier to tell the kids at night, you know, and pass down the traditions and, and religion, you know, because like I said earlier, it's very important to have a core set of beliefs because just yeah. how Moses was presented the Ten Commandments, what did he need? To, what did he need? He had a bunch of people that he needed to govern. So... Let's make laws. What do the Ten Commandments say? Don't be a piece of shit. You know, follow, follow, you know, honor thy mother and father and, you know, don't kill your neighbor. Don't rape people, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. It's a it's a set of rules. You know, it's a government. But if you, <laughs> it's crazy. I forgot who it was. I think it was Scotty Roberts. I was like, why would these people be looking for God somewhere in the sky? This metaphysical person, this omnipotent guy, when homeboy Moses just fucking parted the sea. Like he just parted the sea in front of them, but yet they're going to go and worship some other guys somewhere up above where they can't even see. It's like, I would be worshiping Moses. Like, damn, bro, you got the sauce. So I'm going to be a follower of you. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, so I wanted to say that, but I wanted to touch on the, on the subject of 
and I, I, don't, I don't know if you have any input on this, the RH negative bloodlines and the, you know, the, the, the haplogene X and all this stuff, the RH negative and positive, it, does that play a role at all in any of this? Because this is something I've talked about before where these people who have this sort of blood type, them being the, you know, sometimes the indigenous people of a certain area, uh, they're more susceptible to paranormal spiritual experiences uh, mystical experiences do you have does that have anything to do with the terra uh terra preta which is i, I guess that's how you said in, in yeah. portuguese um uh, black sand do you think that has anything to do with this as well where it's only a certain group of people who are able to tap into this technology because of their genes you, oh, you touched on something that's really cool so um so imagine you're a very advanced human and everything falls apart and you have these various genetic lines that we've proven, you know, you can hand down actual memories to individuals from like a mom to a kid, uh, not just instincts, but like actual memories. Mm -hmm. um, if you were living in an area with ancient Terra Preta and you were on it, let's just say it wasn't even a particular bloodline, but let's just say it is, uh, where what if you happen to have that bloodline but happen to live in not your original area or like when I say original, let's say 100,000 years ago, your family did live in Brazil or did live in North Africa or was in South Africa or was in Ukraine or someplace in Russia uh, or Europe or, or North America because there's different versions of it here too. But let's just say you're on a different kind of Terra Preta but there were different manifestations or someone in your bloodline was living on that. Remember, think of it as a broken computer with only the BIOS working for those of you who are, you know, like your operating system won't boot, but you can at least get safety the BIOS. Mode. And, yeah. yeah, you're in safe mode. So the reality is that what you might describe if you grew up super Christian, it's like, oh my gosh, I think I just saw a demon or I had a paranormal experience and I could have sworn I saw someone walk right by me. Or again, second sight, uh, remote viewing you're able to like think or concentrate and collectively as a group put your mind on a document to people in a room people talking these are all skill sets that we identify as uh, if you come from a religious background you'll say it's evil or you'll say it's not good or you'll say it's paranormal or you, you know, you'll say alien but if we're on a giant safe moded actual ones and zero biotechnical system that we've let gone into the fray. If you did live on Terra Preta, or if you were connected through a collective consciousness, which is even in standard academia in the quantum world, we know there's a collective human consciousness. We know through Karelian photography, we have this magnetic field where there's even solid evidence that what you and I absorb as memory is stored around us in almost a magnetic field. So the reality is between the Terra Preta which was functioning with the ground slash the plants and everything in it. What if you and I are walking along and the planet in its worst safe mode can identify two people as being valuable to rebooting the original system? What you describe as luck could actually be the planet going, yeah, the bees are doing a function of something that, but, but that guy's a priority because it's not that he's a God. It's not that he's extra special. Like if we're both walking along and I get stung and you don't and the planet 
has identified that, hey, this guy's a little more connected, a little more conscious. I can feed this one system through him, but I can't through that guy. But that guy I can use over here. But for now, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, bees, go ahead and sting him or natural. <laughs> and, 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 but it could be a system that broke, right? Where people who seem to have luck and things just seem to manifest around them. Is it that they individually not only know how to use the system in, unconsciously or consciously, what if the bios itself it has a code, it has a system that says at some point, if this was programmed, then the reality is the system might have self-preservations where it's like, okay, well, uh, look, the greatest, when we talk about the Bible, I reference this, is that the greatest uh, story of revelations of heaven is that the earth will be restored. The greatest punchline in the religion of that, of that of faith is that the earth will be restored. What is that? Is that the final memory of a people that lived indefinitely, used their magnetic fields in case of catastrophic failure, like a meteor hit that they still couldn't avoid as they traveled through, tuning the ionosphere using a giant pyramidal network and machines and systems that are no longer present because, well, they got destroyed. And at the same time, they're tuning as they go through galactic frequencies and maybe gives you a headache, but gives me cancer. But we both go to the auditorium where, you know, you go to the Greek amphitheater and like, oh, it seems like there was a Tartaria. It seems like there was an older uh, uh, a group that lived here and it seems to be worldwide. And, oh, you can crumple a dollar bill and you can hear it anywhere in the stadium. Well, what if it wasn't just for entertainment or for hearing someone do Shakespeare? What if this entire frequency energy-based society was using the engineered soils to not only connect between plants and animals and fungal networks as in a ones and zeros biotechnical system that connected all of us, but it also healed us. Instead of crushing up a million plants, the vibrational frequency energy as you just walked through that organized Amazonian uh, parkway that was well-groomed and manicured for a polygonal 1,000, 2,000 ton Oliante Tambo building society, Sacsayhuaman and Pumapunku, these are a peoples that were connected across the earth through their Nazca lines and the Bolivian Nazca lines and the Jordan Nazca lines. And this entire system didn't just have a black soil. It had uh, what's called seismic metastructures, soils that were made out of crystalline, that were geopolymers, what we find on the ancient pyramid that are also found in repairs all around the world so that we have artificial stones that are like Teflon in walls that are in Cadiz and the Mediterranean and things that we haven't even found. Size, uh, just different material sciences have done these researches where what we are looking at is a society that is possibly experiencing quick fires, like banging on a blinky board and you get a light on the left and it's like you get a light on the right and some of us have been worshiping that for a while. It's like, God forbid, it's right 50% of the time or even 20 or or 60%. But somebody walks up and says, why are you banging on a 747 control panel? It's a plane. It's like the hey, scene you know, from Lost where the guy, the counter keeps going down. He's got to reset it every single time because he doesn't know what's going to happen if it runs out. Right. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then instead, it's like we have this, we've assigned a value to the blinky board so we're walking on these ancient engineered soils. We have these genetic memories where some people, ir irrelevant to even a specific, like maybe one bloodline, you have Reiki masters and healers and meditators of different practices 
they're getting a result that has the personality of the cures and the benefits that they wanted. And when you have collective group think, we know on a quantum level, we know there's so many weird things about uh, the design and desired effect when we observe something that seems to function, like there's a remote connection and it's like, I'm getting a quantum size object to do what I want it to do. And that's weird. And Schrodinger himself said, I'm sorry I ever thought of it. I'm sorry I ever brought it up. And basically in a nutshell, he's like, whatever. So you have this broken system on top of a safe, safe mode at us and everything, including animals and plant life. And on occasion in the right circumstances with the right gene expression, as in your diet, your meditative state, you individually, it doesn't matter what your bloodline is. It also matters. Are you the one walking on Terra Prater? Are you living on it? Are you near it? Is it not just that soil, but is it the full connectivity to how you personally connect to that collective and or are aware of it consciously? And it might partially be your bloodline. It might not. But then how you move past your individual modality and just let the system happen. And I think it's kind of like banging on the blinky board. The blinky board is a system. It's an actual unidentified advanced technical system, but you're banging on it, you connect a wire. And that's what happens, I think, when, although I think it's very valuable, but I think that's what happens when you have people doing ayahuasca, when you have people, it's just like you and I saying, hey, you know what, we're going to make it a goal. We're going to tell everyone right now, you know, you and I are going to squat a thousand pounds in six months. And that's all we're going to do. We're going to work on squatting a thousand pounds. And both of us are going to get off air and go, where do we get the steroids? Mm -hmm. When it comes to metaphysical, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, I want to connect to God. I want to connect to other people. I want to connect to this other greater system. So I'm going to jumpstart the blinky board. I'm going to bang the shit out of this 10 to 15% conscious brain and jump into 60% conscious or jump into 80%. Expect to be okay. It's like this is how you get these occultists like Aleister Crowley, Jack Parsons, Eliphas Levi, where they're like trying to fuck with things that are way above their pay grade. But, you know, let's just go ahead and uh, do it. (laughs) fucking send it you know like who cares yeah. like you know what I mean? yeah 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 like you know it's like i like to climb but i'll tell you right now i will not be alpining mount everest in the next 10 years it's not on my list of things to do i mean i i like you have to train for things and so on one hand i'm very curious about the research like i'm super uh i do think we need the research but i think one of the most dangerous things you're playing with is when you're only 10 to 15 percent conscious to go yeah I'm ready to be even, let's just say that's all it does. Yeah, I'm ready to be 60 or 100% conscious. I'm ready to. Are you yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. So, Jared, because <laughs> as we wind down here on the two-hour mark, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on something else because this is very fascinating. And I'll be honest, like listening to you on other shows, I didn't really connect the dots until like right now, like what you're, what you're getting at. Because like it's really mind-blowing when you think about these things on the grander scale like wait a minute like wait it goes deeper than just some pyramids like like yeah it goes deeper than just some pyramids what do you because when you look at these and i think the the lecture that i was listening to michael tillinger was about how these ancient cities are in the shape of circuit boards and you mentioned that earlier these nazca lines are like circuit board-esque right if you look at uh, the pyramid of the giza plateau from the from the top it looks like you know like uh, you, you got 
whatever they put on circuit boards, whatever. I I've seen it this way where maybe these people back then, right? And I don't want to say the gods because that it'll just throw the entire conversation that we've had for the whole thing. But these people were like thinking in a 3D aspect of like, hey, let's build these crazy networks together. Uh, almost like they were building a custom PC. Like, okay, we want yep. to up the computing power. So let's let's make a bigger pyramid this time, you know? And just because we don't understand it, you know, in the now, doesn't mean this shit didn't work. You know what I mean? Like these, these yep. people, we got to understand because, you know, a lot of people go, oh, advanced uh, technology is like, well, what is, you know, ancient technology? Well, what does that mean? Because we're so used to and we're so indoctrinated, like, oh, this is technology. Like, no, there's other forms of technology yeah. that are, aren't just electrical. There's, you know, other yep. other things out there. My whole thing that has got, so these people are trying to build these, these mega supercomputers that are connected with other pyramids around the other side of the world. And that blew my mind where you said, where it's the same Terra Prieta in, in one area that is in another area. You know, it's like, and then you get the same stories in one, you know, Mesoamerica yep. that you do in ancient Mesopotamia, you know, the same figures, you know, the seven Elohim, yep. the seven gods that decree, you know, the Anunnaki, et cetera, et cetera. So it, you know, a hundred percent, there was this world, uh, this, this global civilization, maybe it was the Atlanteans, maybe it was the Tartarians, whatever you want to call them. What's up with the Stargates? Jared, do you touch on that at all? Because we see everywhere uh, uh, in these places, these arches and these doors that lead to nowhere. Do you think, because we know about quantum entanglement, we know about yeah. quantum physics and all this crazy shit, the two-slit experiment. Do you think that in in some way, shape, or form, because I believe that I, I have a friend of mine who's laid in the king. I think it's the king's chamber, the queen's chamber in the pyramid with the bo- where, where the boxes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. He said he's laid in there while people were like humming or chanting or something like that. And he said that when he was laying in there, it got so intense, the vibrations in the box. He needed to get out. Yeah. So my whole thing is that due to certain bloodlines, how you're saying and, and how you said some systems aren't backwards compatible which that makes a lot of sense okay so maybe you're just able to get a little you're just able to get a little tapped in but just not enough because the system isn't accepting you know you can't put a usb-c in a usb port it doesn't work that way you know what i mean i think if you even have a full that's that's if you're not counting for the fact that half your box is melted and was in a fire (laughs) or missing because it was stolen yeah and you're and you're like hey i can plug in and i'm getting a response and I can actually, but where's your monitor, dude? Yeah, you can't you turn like, it up all the way up. So my whole thing yeah. is these people were able, the reason that we see these ancient civilizations that disappeared off the face of the earth, right? We know like, oh, what happened to the Mayans? Oh, what happened to the Egyptians? Well, the, the Hyksos took over. Who, who the fuck were the Hyksos? Oh, nomadic right. people. They took them, whatever. Except we see that yeah. everywhere. My whole thing was that I think these people were able to tap into some sort of network, which we've established there is one. At yeah. a certain time of day, at a certain time of the year, at a certain time of the night, as a people, they were able to come together and just peace out through vibrations, through using these megalithic structures, through something they were just able to leave. Hence why they just disappeared, like literally dissolved into the Akashic Records, the Astral Light, whatever you want to call it. What's up with the Stargates? Do you think that at some point, just how those the the movie the the movies and the show Stargate they were able to transcend through another dimension. Do you think that's at all was possible 
if we can get that woo woo, can we get that woo woo, Jared? I think I well, it's it's not a bad question, and it's one that people probably wouldn't want to go at. But I mean, I I can see why some people wouldn't go at it. But the uh, issue, the framework. First off of the, okay, so there's all these mystery doors everywhere in places all around South America, Central America, um, in uh, Angkor Wat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all over that. There, anywhere there's polygonal construction, for everyone listening, there seems to be porticles that you wouldn't throw a Roman statue in or you're like, oh, well, maybe it is a, maybe it is some sort of a statue. Uh, like, it just seems to be a dead-end door and it maybe something, maybe there was a giant fresco there and... Well, there's a problem. They're in polygonal constructions and they look like doorways. They seem like doorways. So the question is, were they doorways? But they could also be... So there's a couple uh, personality things about these ancient polygonal constructions. They have high crystalline content. You can't have a computer without a crystal in it. Uh, we don't quite understand crystal. We, we don't understand crystal technology entirely at all. We've used it you don't have a processor in a computer without having a crystal. So if you have a high crystalline content um, mixed stone, that is either what we think is in quotes natural or a geopolymer, which is a man-made concrete. We have these portals that appear to be doorways to nowhere that are they at one point, were they part of an energy system to your point when you have a very large, actually my brother and I have been working out the mathematical, uh, like the Great Pyramid of Giza, it's like plugged in. A lot of people don't know that it's actually like carved out and set in like a giant socket plug into its foundation, which would connect to not only just ancient engineered soils, but engineered seismic metastructures. So something no one ever talks about is those foundational structures of, of, of silicrates are part of what could be what you see in the doorways of a flash drive-like technology where what we see is a solid stone, where if it was properly energized or properly plugged in, are we really looking at a portal? Are we looking at an ancient LED plasma television? Something like that. <laughs> are, you know, it's like, what what else is that phone you raised other than a, a really shitty mirror? Yeah. This is, you're like, I can see nothing with this. It's magic barely, right? though, Jared. I mean, the, the technology that we're using nowadays, if you really think about it, we use a lot of things. How you said we're using crystals in the, in this, you know, processor. We don't know what it does, but we do know that crystals hold information. We know DNA yep. holds information. We know that all these, you know, you have in the, in the we're near Skinwalker ranch where there's only certain crystals found in stones in that area. We know it's a place of high strangers. Is it a, along a ley line? Who the fuck knows? Like it's it, all these things right. that connect because it's all about energies and frequencies. But I've, the doorways to nowhere have always blown my mind. It's like, why? 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 Yeah, and why? the man, you know, there, there, are, there are things in the last 6,000, 7,000 years. And, and there's this constant forgetfulness of the East and the West. You know, we, we cut con- because we're West, we constantly obsess over the fertile crescent. We're constantly, oh, everything's Greek, you know? Oh yeah. There's some silly stuff, that Krishna thing that, you know, that's not a big deal really. Cause it's the largest religion on earth and they have a much longer history and we worship even archeologically, we worship the Bible yet you give the Hindu Vedas, Michael Cremo who wrote forbidden archeology, span there are sites. I, I asked him a question once, and this is a good spot for this. I said, if you had all the money in the world and could work on any archaeological site, 
He named off two, and I can't give you the names. I can't remember right now. They were in interviews I did. But he named off two sites in, besides the nuclear site in uh, India that he would excavate in India. There is, again, there's also megalithic polygonal construction up the Wahoo in India, but he named off two sites that he would go to in a second. And I asked Mohammed Ibrahim the same thing about Egypt. And he goes, one, he goes, Jared, I'm fascinated by what you just brought up with the, the foundations. The foundations of the buildings themselves, I think, are much more complex. The technology to not just level a building, but if the building itself has energy systems that use doorways that go anywhere that are using the Earth's vibrational frequency energy also as a, as a, as a draw and as a pull from the atmosphere and atmospherically and within the soil, the foundations themselves are much more complex. It's not just uh, a hard wall to hold up um, a billion ton, uh, a billion pounds of thousand ton stones that are stacked. I think the foundations of these structures themselves and the surrounding landscape is a series of sifted man, if not man-made, man-organized and terraformed metamaterials that include terra preta and, and other systems that go into a biotechnical environment, which includes vibrational medicine slash, you know, ones and zeros, biotech switching of what we consider natural systems or what we call sacred geometry. And all of it is part of a system that connected we are and were when we were fully conscious and, and possibly looking more like what we think are maybe uh, Greek statues, possibly Tartarian statues, which really are just an echo of a society that is pre-Mount Toba, pre-75,000 years ago, that we're looking at ourselves as part of something we designed to work naturally with us, where we went and bought a sofa, one could grow one. Just an idea. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the places that I've always found... Uh, amazing the serapium of saqqara has been you know mind-blowing like how the fuck do they get these boxes down there how they lift yep. them they don't fit and then this place in and i'm gonna butcher the name it's the kale asanatha temple where it's carved out of the entire mountain one piece and it's yep. like where'd all the residue where's yeah. that it's like yeah we don't we don't know <laughs> well, same, same thing at Petra, you know, like uh, when oh, Brian Petra. Forrester, yeah, Brian Forrester did that great video. And I know Brian puts out a million things, but uh, there's, uh, there's a few where he's in Petra. Where Petra's huge. Like you don't, right. you don't capture the vastness on pictures, but when you see a picture of a person standing next to it, it's giant. You know what I mean? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that just it, we, people think of the Indiana Jones scene in front of what they call the vault or the bank. And the reality is Petra, that it's actually a valley and the site is over 20 miles long. And so it's not just one or two buildings. It's actually many, many, many carved out rock cut ruins that go on for over 20 miles. Wow. Nonstop. It's like Darren Kuyu too. Darren Kuyu is amazing. Have you ever been there? Yeah, and, and Petra... Brian goes into one of the spaces that they rock cut out. When you talk about uh, wasted material, they have rooms that are over 320,000 cubic square feet. 
and 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 where's all the where's the rubble from that well of course you know it's like look at any hill that you think is natural we could get into ancient if you move with impunity 1,000 to 3,000 ton stones what is the scale that you're mining crystals gold whatever you want Mm -hmm. what's the scale of your mining facilities and if you're doing terra preta to feed a population again if you give everyone an acre and there are youtube videos for farms sustainable there's a commercial sustainable farm in america that's doing over two hundred seventy thousand dollars from one acre so if you gave every human being an acre and the whole human population is in two and a half Texases, if you put them in, in condo living, you put them in multi-story living. And, and when, Oh, by the way, when most of the people, one of the things that could point out to me is most of Egypt, when we say underground, when we say buried, 85% is still underground. No. Yeah. It's like 95%. But Mohammed Ibrahim pointed something out to me when I interviewed him, he goes, Jared, it's not that it's just cities underground. The majority of Egypt that's underground is complex, massive uh, tunnel systems. That's what and, I tell people. Not... I tell people, Jared, that the reason that when you see a picture of the, the Giza Plateau and you don't see anything else built next to it, it's because if they were to build anything on it, it would probably cave in because there's that many tunnels <laughs> underneath the Giza plateau that it, it just wouldn't be able to hold. It's not a, a, a foundation that's going to be able to hold the weight. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. It's literally how you said night. I've always said 85% still under, under the, the, the sand, but it's 95% and they don't, yeah, they, they don't want to keep figure going. it's, there are tunnel systems that move to, uh, they, they think. So from what Muhammad thinks is that there's tunnel systems that likely span uh, to Aswan to like hundreds of miles. And it, for everyone listening, by the way, I grew up thinking that the Giza plateau is where the pyramids were that, that there was just like, Oh, there's a plateau. It makes sense. And you know, it's a big field and there's like a bunch of pyramids on it. It's like, Oh, the plateau. No, G- the Giza plateau is a mini square kilometer area. It represents much of what Egypt uh, that we think of dynastically or Moses and the Pharaohs and like, you know, when we think of movies, the, the that plateau is actually a very large area and includes many, many cities, many, many ancient cities. Um, you know, but but the tunneling systems are large, uh, some are polygonal, and they're they're very um, they, they they just they they go everywhere. And it's as if just like in South America, in the Andes and in the mountains, not just like at Machu Picchu, but like the ones like in Bolivia where Eric Von Daniken took Buzz Aldrin and said there's these like really complex laser cut like super straight underground giant tunnels and we have them here in the United States there seems to be yet again there's massive underground large rock cut ruins that are not discussed that again out west we have many indigenous peoples in America talking about the ant people who came out right around well they think maybe 9,000 years ago or or around Younger Dryas, maybe the reality date. But the verbal stories are that the ant people came and brought everyone underground and saved them from a massive catastrophe. Well, how many times, or when was the first one, or how long was a worldwide human population building massive uh, 
indefinite, runs everywhere across Europe, like from Turkey, that Gobekli Tepe area. There's tunnel systems that are said to run all over Europe that are massive and not modernly built, not built by World War II. Ancient systems that appear to connect uh, a society that the, the surface of the earth wasn't as friendly as they thought, mm-hmm. or in mass. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting. And if you start digging into those tunnel systems, like in Egypt, like you're saying, uh, it tells a different story than the narrative we're told. But we get, we get blinded, we get excited. It's important that people just start wherever their curiosity level is. I mean, it's hard to work through your own personal frustration when you're told not to ask questions and just believe better. You know, <laughs> or or you're like, oh my gosh, I just learned about this. Uh, it's not my my family of origin story. It's about this Anunnaki thing and Mesopotamia. And before you know it, you're stuck learning about some really cool stuff that Skull and Bones and like <laughs> Illuminati and and Da Vinci Code. And then you know, then then you get stuck talking about flying saucers and aliens. And before you know it, you have a wholly different explanation as to why you have an iPhone and an Android. And and you've you've literally walked by ancient iPhone factories and 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 ancient advanced and then you're literally ignoring all the stories about your own abilities and before you know it we are yet again fog of war you're not getting to the truth you're not getting to the truth of who who and what we were and who and what's flying around and why they do or don't care and it's we're only here to figure it out and like you said we got to be all ready to be wrong. We just have to be willing to table the questions, accept people from where they're at. If they think they're a paranormal expert, if they think they've had an encounter with a UFO, if they think they have this faith that they saw a demon or an angel, the reality is that your modality and how you identify with something from your positive or where your gene expression is and where your consciousness is, all of it will pull together. We just have to be willing to hear the stories, but table the facts, table the experiences, see through the modalities and i think we are on track to figuring out how crazy this planet really was jerry i couldn't have put it better myself i think that's an awesome place to end this i could talk to you for hours because we're literally talking about the entire world right now we're talking about different megalithic places you know i didn't even touch on some points i had written down i'll definitely have to have you back on uh, to talk some more i really enjoyed our conversation today jared uh, can you tell the listeners once more where they can find you, find your videos, uh, find your book, and check you out? Sure. New book will be out in a couple months. I'll probably be back on and I'll be able to give your listeners a special deal. So for now, no book, but not it's not aliens. Worse, it's us discovering lost history. Just wait for the new one. Not aliens on YouTube. Uh, Terra Core is the new documentary. Please check it out. Uh, you know, join on on that. And then of course, notaliens.com. There is a member area that helps with the research and uh, actual site research folks. I'm a field researcher, so it's it's not just about writing about it. It's I go out to the field and look for things. And I appreciate you guys listening and you having me on. Dude, thank you so much for coming on, man. This is really amazing. And I, I this is one of the, my, my topics that I, that, that I will never get tired of talking about. And I yeah. appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you so much, Jared. Yeah, you're welcome.